This podcast was sponsored by Baba Sobers Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services. Baba Sobers Wealth Management works with physicians, medical practices, and hospitals, providing comprehensive wealth management services for individuals and institutions. Visit our website at advisors.ubs.com forward slash Baba Sobers WM. We're members of FINRA and SIPC. This episode is brought to you by the Arizona Department of Health Services. Go to adhs.gov or to learn more about substance use disorder, check out azhealth.gov slash hopeheals. So I, I literally had a sobering moment that night. And I remember telling myself that this is it. I, I can't do this anymore because it's not only going to cost me my life, it's going to cost me my family my marriage, which is the most important thing in the world to me, um, likely my career, my friends, um, and, and the, you know this job that I love. You know I love what I do, and I knew that would probably be one of the first things to go. Hi, and welcome to the Arizona Physician Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode, and we're joined today by Tim Cavanaugh, MD. Dr. Cavanaugh is a board-certified, fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon focusing primarily on shoulder, hip, and knee replacement. He has been practicing orthopedic surgery since 2002 and has performed over 8,000 joint procedures throughout his career. Before moving to Arizona to practice in 2019, Dr. Cavanaugh spent the first 17 years of his career treating patients in a private practice in Anchorage, Alaska. Dr. Cavanaugh attended medical school in Chicago and then completed an orthopedic surgery residency at Ohio State University Hospitals in Columbus, followed by a fellowship in joint replacement surgery in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He is married to Deanna, a CRNA, and they have seven children. Dr. Kavanaugh, thanks for being here and thanks for on the show. Thanks for having me. There's a lot we're going to cover today about your journey with addiction and the message that you want to share with fellow physicians in Arizona, uh, especially those here in the Phoenix, Scottsdale Valley. Um, We're doing this live because we feel in part this conversation is best done face-to-face and to have a a more casual conversation about it. Um, I want to start by trying to frame for listeners, um, you know, why this matters to people. Although you continue to be today an accomplished orthopedic surgeon, um, you know that's not the focus of our discussion today. It's not about your surgery skills. Rather, you volunteered today to share your story of addiction and recovery. I want to applaud your willingness to speak to other physicians and healthcare professionals about your journey, and, and thank you very much for being here. We'll get to that story, but first, I'd like to ask why you're speaking up today. Why does sharing your journey with addiction matter to you? And, you know, really, why do you think it should matter to other physicians in Arizona? Well, I think that my story and my journey through this uh, addiction and recovery is not one that I share myself. Um, I've learned a lot about myself through this whole process. and. I've learned how much addiction can affect not only the person who has the disease, but their family, friends, 
acquaintances, patients for us physicians, and so many other aspects of life. I feel that this is something that if I can inspire or help others uh, who were who are like me to help make a decision to be sober, then I am uh, going to succeed with what I'm trying to accomplish today. How often have you been sharing your story with other physicians? Do they tend to approach you for advice? Do you, do you kind of come across fellow physicians that you recognize from signs and symptoms of and sort of approach them? Um, how has that happened over the last you know, year or two? So, you know, my journey right now in sobriety is at uh, 18 months uh, this coming weekend. And, you know, over time, it's something I think that kind of evolves uh, inside me that um, not only am I willing to talk about my personal journey, but I've had others come up to me and talk to me about theirs or the, the need to go on a journey to sobriety. So it seems like it's something that is kind of unfolding in front of me with time that I can be a person that others can, can talk to about this. Oh, I'd like to think it has to do with my success in this process that, you know, I feel very strong um, in my position where I sit right now with my sobriety and, you know, something I work on every day. But I, I, I hope that projects out, and I, I think it does. Yeah, well, sitting across the table from you, I, I get that sense and uh, how committed you are to this process and um, how it may be a struggle at times. But um, obviously you being here is a big sign of how you want to help other physicians. I'm wondering if you could share with listeners when you first faced addictive behavior and how you would say it had an impact on your personal indoor professional lives. So, you know, you've been now in recovery 18 months, but how far back do we go? It goes all the way back. I, th- I think, you know, I believe what, well, with what I've learned about uh, alcoholism and uh, addiction through this journey uh, of sobriety, you know, it, it's helped me understand my disease, which is alcoholism, and not only where it came from, but I was able to look back on how it evolved in my life and how I, you know, it got me to where I needed to go and get help for it. Um, you know, I, I, that means family, uh, addictive behavior and family and access to alcohol as a teenager or whatever. Yes, uh, both of those actually. So, okay. you know, my, both my parents are alcoholics. Um, my, my father passed away partially because of that disease. Um, and, uh, you know, my mom still lives with it as an active alcoholic. So, you know, I, I do believe part of this is genetic. And, um, you know, I started drinking in high school with my buddies and then, that evolved to college where, you know, you get a little more freedom in college and then parties are easy to come by. And so was alcohol back in the late eighties, early nineties in college. And I drank pretty heavily in college. Um, yeah. There's a lot of binge drinking in college. A lot of binge drinking and it, you know, it's reinforced. And if you're an undiagnosed or an un, unknown alcoholic, it seems like you're probably in, 
alcoholic heaven, you know. Then medical school came around and I barely drank. And I just knew it was something that I had to work as hard as I possibly could in med school in order to achieve what I wanted to. I wanted to be a doctor. And so I just was able to restrain it. And in, in, in med school, I barely drank. So you, you think when you went to medical school, you, you were barely drinking because of the internal pressure that you had on yourself, to, knowing that if you drank, you would not succeed in getting through the courses or getting through your didactic or rotations to, to graduate medical school? Like, were, were there people around you who also added to that to say, hey, you can't drink and do this at the same time? Do you think that was on you? Uh, I think it's probably both, If you know, now that I can frame it that way, that I knew in, internally I had to buckle down to study hard. And then I'm around a people, a group of people, you know, who are doing the same thing. Okay. So it's kind of easy to be involved in it and like nobody's going out partying, nobody's out going out on weekends, we're studying. So, okay. and I was driven by the desire to succeed. And then, you know, I knew I wanted to get into orthopedic surgery, which is something you have to work pretty hard for. So oh, yeah. I had a goal. So then next phase of life is residence. Nobody has time as residence to really party hard, especially in a surgical specialty. So the group of residents I was with, you know, once in a while, we'd all go out and we were all married or had serious uh, significant others at the time. So, you know, we'd go out on a weekend and maybe have a glass of wine or two, but that's it. And go home, basically go right to bed. Yeah. Fellowship was the same way. I didn't have time. I was so busy uh, to really drink much at all. But then it started happening like when I would have vacations, you know, vacations were like free time, you know, you're off. And so I always kind of had this in my mind that when I was on vacation, I didn't have any responsibilities, you know, so I really, I could drink. And then beginning a private practice, working hard, building the practice, early time in Alaska, I really didn't drink too much by my standards, uh, you know. And then, but as time goes on, as I got busier and more successful in Alaska, I was able to, you know, buy good alcohol. And this is kind of nice. This tastes good, you know. And all the while, looking back on it now, I I can see what was clearly happening in my mind. The disease was slowly creeping into more and more parts of my life because you would tell yourself, oh, I'm just going to drink on Fridays and Saturdays because it's the weekend. Well, then the weekend became Thursdays and became Sundays and you know, it's easy to crack something open. And then, you know, the craft beer scene in Alaska actually was really strong back in the early 2000s. And so I got into really good beer. Yeah. Uh, and that's something easy to like as an alcoholic. And then it, it just evolved from there. It just would go through waves, you know, where I'd have a drink every day. And then sometimes I wouldn't, you know, I wasn't full on drinking every day. I never drank on call. And I never drank before I went and, and saw patients or did surgeries. I knew, even as bad as my disease was, I knew that I couldn't do that because that's morally a problem. Okay. Um, and I just, it, it never crossed my mind to do that. So I had, I did have like, I guess, a, a line in the sand in my mind with the disease yeah. that I wouldn't cross. But other than those lines in the sand that, you know, everything else was fair game. That's what I want to follow up on about. Like, where, where was that line? So 
later in the second half of this discussion, we're going to talk about your recovery process mm-hmm. and where you are today and message to other physicians. But when did it become such a problem that, you know, you called yourself out or someone else called you out, a colleague, to say, hey, you need to seek help or this is starting to impact your family or your professional life as a physician? Well, it, it's interesting. So throughout uh, time, when I look back, you know, over the last 15 or 20 years of life, did I have moments where I'm like, wow, you drink too much and you need to, you know, get a hold of this, so to speak, or get control of it? Yes, I did. You know, I would say that to myself. And then I would stop drinking for, you know, three, four, five days, maybe just to prove to myself that I did. I actually had a, a period of time. Uh, back in the, around 2013 where I didn't drink for seven months. You know, I had a, a bad time in Vegas, you know, and it, it was something that, uh, I'm not proud of. You know, I got really drunk in a casino and, you know, my wife got really mad at me and, you know, it was just pure stupidity from alcohol. And so I walked out of that trip and said to myself, I'm not going to drink, you know, and then, I was strong for a while, but I was white knuckling and I wasn't convinced that I was an alcoholic. I just told myself I didn't need to drink for a while, always knowing full well that I would drink again. I just have to pick the time when. And, you know, it came down to a Thanksgiving trip uh, down, actually down to Arizona. I remember asking my wife on the plane, hey, you think I can have a glass of wine with dinner at Thanksgiving? And she's like, yeah, you know, you haven't drank in a while. That'd be fine. Just open the door up. Yeah. You know, I, I, you look back on that and it, it's just, I had a moment where I could have really stopped, you know, eight years prior and uh, seven years prior and, you know, I just let it slip away and it's the disease. It always wants to creep back in on you. And that's something I've learned in recovery. So, you know, then in 2019, we moved down here. Uh, I took a job where at the time I, I didn't have any ER call responsibilities and it was mostly elective surgery and you know it was easy for me to come home from work and if I didn't have any bourbon make sure I picked some up on the way home and I always had a tally in my mind of how much bourbon I had in in the house you know so I knew if I had to hit the liquor store on the way home because once I was home it was time to drink right you know, pour myself a drink just like my mom and dad did when they get home from work and when I was a kid and then, you know, and, and I'm not blaming the pandemic. I refuse to do that because I think it just, my alcoholism was there. It just allowed it to be a little more free because we didn't have much work to do. We had more free time, more time at home, less surgeries, et cetera. So, um, yeah, my, my drinking definitely ramped up in the pandemic. I think that happened to a lot of people. Yeah, I probably did. Um, but when you're an alcoholic and that happens, yeah. it's kind of a free-for-all almost. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll speak with Dr. Kavanaugh about his road to recovery and any recommendations that he has for other physicians or healthcare professionals who are facing similar issues. We'll be right back. Are you a busy physician who's unhappy in your current practice but has no time to job search? Or is your administrator overwhelmed with work but you're short-staffed and looking for help? InSync Healthcare Recruiters is here to help. We are Arizona's trusted local resource for healthcare staffing. Our recruiting process is streamlined to respect your schedule. We can save you time, effort, and money. 
Call us today at 602-284-0991 or visit our website at nsyncrecruiters.com. That's nsync, I-N-S-Y-N-C, recruiters.com. I wanted to ask you, uh, Dr. Cavanaugh, about the Arizona Medical Board. So you talked about the history of uh, alcoholism in your family, talked about the times when you're drinking more, times you're drinking less, and how it led up to the pandemic and an opportunity, I guess, to drink more. But at some point, it got to the Arizona Medical Board. And that might be something that physicians listening to this are wondering, well, how does it get to the medical board? How do you respond to something like that? What's the process? And and, um, how does the medical board proceed with, with helping physicians through the PHP? So it was a uh, incident where I self-reported. It was uh, in September of 2020. Um, we were at a friend. My wife and I were at a friend's house, uh, and it had been a day, a Saturday afternoon, where I had been drinking all day, and we went to a party and just drank more, and it ended up in a very drunken night, you know, and kind of a normal weekend for me that um, we were driving home and and I was, this is a lot, I I don't remember a lot of, but it was, we we were driving home and my wife was driving and I was in the passenger seat and, you know, I didn't want her to drive for some reason. You know, I had some type of awareness in the middle of this incident and I actually grabbed the wheel and I I was hitting her arm because I didn't want her to drive and I, I caused the car to veer off the road and hit a rock at low speed. And, you know, it was an incident when the car was damaged, the cops came. And so I got taken down to the, to the police department for a uh, misdemeanor domestic violence charge because I caused this wreck. Okay. So that for me was the moment the sentinel moment, I like to call it, that, okay, now it's not only you that's drunk, you're causing other problems, you're getting into legal problems. And so I I literally had a sobering moment that night. And I remember telling myself that this is it. I, I can't do this anymore because it's not only going to cost me my life, it's going to cost me my family, my marriage, which is the most important thing in the world to me. Um, likely my career, my friends, um, and, and the, you know, this job that I love, you know, I love what I do. And I knew that would probably be one of the first things to go. And, and I, I couldn't, do that to myself. I told, I said to myself that night, I'm like, I've got to get help. That's it. And so, um, I made the decision I was going to go to rehab. And then with that whole process, uh, legally, you know, it was to self-report to the board because this was a misdemeanor charge on me. That is one of the self-reportable things. So I didn't get to ponder whether or not the board is going to find out about my addiction they're finding out so self-reported um 
when we did that, uh, you know, I got right away into the PHP program where I met Dr. Faria. Uh, and I had a meeting with her a few days later. And at the time of my meeting with her, I had already decided I was going to rehab. Actually, I already booked my, my stay. And, uh, you know, she was a breath of fresh air for me in that meeting, uh, because I was worried. I didn't know what to expect. And I don't think anybody in that situation really knows what to expect the first time, but she was calm. Uh, she was very, uh, helpful and and very supportive and that's what i needed at that point in time yeah and this is uh for the listeners dr monica freya who's a psychiatrist and uh, was on the cover of arizona physician magazine in uh, the winter 2021 issue talking about her own journey through addiction and recovery and how she's now on the other side helping to provide support for physicians who are going through similar issues i want to get back to the medical board if we could and I've heard that the medical board looks more favorably upon a physician who would self-report an issue and, and all the options that the medical board may have with your license and putting you into the PHP program for support. Was that what you saw it as? And did you see the medical board as a, as a friend or a foe? So right out of the gate, you don't know what to expect. And... I was glad that I, um, I found an attorney who was experienced in helping physicians, you know, deal with the medical board, uh, to give good advice. And, and, you know, my guy was nothing but for me about talking about being forthright with the board and that's how you have to be. And so from the get go, that's how I was. And okay. I think that was a great piece of advice. Like you didn't hold anything back. You just told them no, what was going on. No, told them everything. Okay. And I didn't want, and I don't think anybody wants, his point was that nobody wants to have the medical board find out something later that you didn't tell them at the first go around. So what I've learned, though, not only with developing my, my action plan with the board, going through uh, inpatient rehab, then outpatient rehab, um, which they highly recommended, and I was already in that by the time we had my agreement signed off on. I, I found that my uh, experience with the board going through this whole process has been not onerous or cumbersome. Yes, there are things that I need to do, like uh, being involved in a monitoring program, right? You know, and the random tests that they've assigned. But I don't find that cumbersome at all. Um, I, I think it's very fair. And I kind of look at it as if I have nothing to hide from them. It, it's not bothersome at all. My uh, experience with going through rehab taught me not only a lot about myself, but, but about the disease. And I fully accept it. I accepted it from the day I decided I needed help. And I think that's the key to any addiction is just accepting it. I don't tell myself that I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I am. I don't tell myself that someday I'll be able to drink again because I can't. I accept it. I can't have any fun if I don't drink. Well, that's not true. I'm proving that every single day. You know, life is so much better now. I just had to get rid of that wet blanket 
of alcoholism that was burdening me every single day of my life, and I didn't realize it. So that's my outlook on things, and my experience with the board has has been good. You know, I, I think the board is there for me. I appreciate the PHP program, and, and I met the fact that I met Dr. Faria through it, and how much of a help and how much of a advocate she is for all the docs she takes care of. That's great to hear. I've heard similar remarks about Dr. Priya and how helpful the PHP program is. I think um, from what I've gathered, uh, there are a lot of physicians who are going through similar issues. And the medical community in Arizona is, I think, coming around to having a better process to support physicians who need to self-report in a safe way that will provide them support before it becomes disciplinary. Mm-hmm. Or uh, we're making that medical board process seem like it's not me versus them. That there's a reason that they're there to support, you know, provide support and um, safety for patients, obviously, but also oversight of licensed physicians in the state of Arizona. We'll take a short break and come back and we'll talk about where you are with recovery, your next steps and outlook as a physician, and recommendations for other doctors in town. Are you a busy physician who's unhappy in your current practice but has no time to job search? Or is your administrator overwhelmed with work but you're short-staffed and looking for help? InSync Healthcare Recruiters is here to help. We are Arizona's trusted local resource for healthcare staffing. Our recruiting process is streamlined to respect your schedule. We can save you time, effort, and money. Call us today at 602-284-0991 or visit our website at InSyncRecruiters.com. That's InSync, I-N-S-Y-N-C, Recruiters.com. Dr. Kavanaugh, I uh, just want to thank you again for sharing everything you have about your family's background, addictive behavior, your recognition of being an alcoholic, and what, how you've had to respond to that with the Arizona Medical Board how it's impacted your career in medicine and your family. I'm wondering if you could talk about where you are today, where you are in recovery, what that's like on a daily basis, or you alluded to these random tests, like how that works and how you manage any urges that you have, if those still exist today, right? And how that uh, may interplay with your work as a physician. So. Recovery is something I remember like early on in rehab, inpatient rehab, that one of the therapists said that you don't realize it yet, but your life is a lot better than it was, ever was when you were drinking. And that's something that I appreciate now every single day, and I'm grateful for that. You know, the recovery process has taught me empathy. You know, I, I probably... Couldn't have given you a definition of empathy beforehand, but now I know. I know because I feel it. It's it's an understanding not only of myself, but of everybody I encounter. And my family life, my relationship with my wife, my kids, my friends, my patients, you know, uh, the clarity I have not only 
in the OR, out of the OR, everything is so much better now. And I wake up every single day and I appreciate that. You know, it, it's, it's a great feeling not ever having to be burdened with alcohol again. And so I don't have cravings uh, at this point in my recovery. I, um, I'm able to be around friends and family who still drink. I don't sit there and feel sorry for myself that, oh, I wish I could have that bourbon or, you know, that Manhattan that my buddy has. And it just, it's something I know it's poison for me and I can't do it. And my, I fully accept that. So it, you know, my life is great. I can still have fun at dinners with people and parties and all that. And it's, it's so relieving to not have that burden on you anymore. And, and that's how I feel every single day. It's made, awesome. it's, thank you. It, it's made me a better physician. There's no doubt. And one of the things, and I talk about this with my wife all the time that I have these relationships now with my patients that go well beyond sitting and talking with somebody about their knee or their shoulder or hip. If it's 30 seconds more or a minute or two more, just talking to them a little bit about themselves or how this particular problem I'm seeing them for affects their life or their family's life. You know, it, it's that kind of stuff that I appreciate now that I don't think I would have appreciated before. I used to have anxiety and I didn't realize it related to the alcoholism that's gone. And I think that's what's allowed me to have this inner peace that I just am a better person now because of that. Sitting here with you, I mean, you're very relaxed Mm -hmm. talking about this, which is great, but I get that sense of calm. I would imagine your patients get that as well. Does that lead, do you think, to better information that you can gather from a patient by taking by going beyond the shoulder or the knee and talking about something else that a patient opens up to you and you get a better relationship or is it sort of a one-off deal i think it leads to uh better everything in, in all aspects of not only my my career but life if i can relate to somebody in a little bit more of a, a calm, personal way, and, and they want to talk to me about something, share something about their life because they feel comfortable doing that because of my inner calmness or inner peace, then yeah, it, it's it's much better. I've had patients who I, I know are having problems with alcohol or in recovery talk to me, and I, I share with them that I'm in recovery too. And and if I can inspire, you know, some patients that, okay, if he's doing it, I, maybe I can do it too or, you know, or seek help, then, then so be it. That's great in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. I want to finish the interview with some recommendations that you have for other physicians. But before we get there, what do you hear today from your colleagues or just other people in Arizona or in Alaska? Because you have a big mm-hmm. network there of other physicians who are facing some problems. I think this is my own personal take and but I I've observed it uh in other docs too that I think there's a lot of confusion on what to do if 
if you ever came to the realization in medicine that you have an addiction problem. You know, I know I did it numerous times that I would sit there and think to myself, am I an alcoholic? And I would say, no, I got this. You know, and I hate saying those three words because that's what kept me going at this for a long time. But the other thing that comes to mind is, well, I, I can't tell the medical board, you know, I'll lose my license, stuff like that. And that's a common thought pattern. And I think it just doesn't allow somebody who ha- may seek help for an addiction to do that. It's it's more of a pushback that I can't go there. You know, they're gonna they're gonna punish me. I'm gonna get can't whacked. Even that door. Yeah. No, can't even talk about it. So I think that you know, it's somehow one of my goals uh, in my recovery here going forward is to try to provide some type of a venue. And I'm not sure the exact best way to do this yet, but to have an option for docs who have questions or have concerns to talk to somebody that like myself or or others who are in recovery that, Hey, we we can talk to you about this and maybe provide some good guidance and, and help get you the help you need rather than have it rise to a, a, a board reportable event or a legal event or, you know, God forbid, something where somebody gets hurt yeah, because absolutely. of it. Well, I'd say for listeners that if they're in Maricopa County, they can reach out to Maricopa County Medical Society. We have access to Dr. Cavanaugh, to Dr. Freya, to many other physicians who are in the area who are willing to help. There's the Pima County Medical Society in Tucson that people could reach out to if you're listening from the southern part of Arizona. Arizona Medical Association covers the whole state. And then uh, I'd say uh, if you're in your specialty society, for example, that might be another venue just to reach out to somebody because I think there are many organizations who are willing to help in addition to individual physicians like yourself. So thank you for offering that up. Dr. Kavanaugh, I wanted to close this conversation today with any final recommendations that you may have for your colleagues. People who feel like they have, they're up against the wall or they may have an inkling that there's some addictive behavior there, whether it's alcohol or drugs or something else. What would you say to somebody if, if I was a colleague here? What would you tell me right now? Through recovery and through going to meetings, I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of other professionals in the medical field in, in various stages of some are residents, some are fellows or newly in practice or, you know, mid-practice like me or even older in practice. And I never fail to tell the young docs that I meet in residency or fellowship that I wish I would have stopped when I was at their level. I wish I would have gotten sober then. It's that valuable and it's that important to me. So if you're out there and, and you have a concern, um, seek help, you know, and, and even call me, call the medical society, talk to people. And, and if you think you need help, get the help you need. Don't be in denial. That I would say that's the most important thing. Acceptance is the answer, and it has been for me. Does that mean that you could talk to a colleague at, at a hospital or a medical practice, or is that too far to go? I'm wondering if, yes, they can. people can reach out, maybe outside the walls of where they work, but mm-hmm. what would you recommend if people are wondering, wow, I just got employed at this hospital system, mm-hmm. or I'm a junior physician at this medical practice, 
boy, I don't want them to look on me negatively or be fired or risk my career working here. Which doors do you think they should open or, or just sort of on a case-by-case basis find out if, get a feel for whether your colleagues and where you work are open to supporting you? I, I would say that, you know, talking to somebody like me, if you have questions, you can ask me about my recovery and I can talk to you about yours uh, is an easy route to go uh, in confidentiality. But along those lines is something that what I'm getting at here is that I, I think we need a venue like that where it can be a, a situation where you can reach out in confidence to a, an entity that maybe is just run by docs who are in recovery and in various specialties and, and have that route or venue to say, hey, I think I may need help. And yeah, I don't want to go to my hospital yet. I don't want to go to my practice partners and I don't want the medical board to find out yet. I, I just need some information cannot, to make the best decision for my health because that ultimately that's what this is about, right? We're, we're doctors. Yeah, but we're humans. And, and this is a medical issue that you need help for when you have an addiction problem. By the time this episode comes out, I would imagine that the governor is going to sign into law a bill introduced to create this uh, wellness type program that you're talking about. It gives a space, a safe space for physicians in Arizona to get confidential discussions going so they can find out where they can bring their concerns or issues before it goes before the medical board. So I think we're heading in that direction. That'd be great. Our guest today is Dr. Tim Cavanaugh, board certified fellowship trained orthopedic surgeon. And he's been here today on the Arizona Physician Podcast talking about his journey through recovery, where he is today, and recommendations for other physicians. Dr. Kavanaugh, uh, it's just been a pleasure meeting with you, hearing your story, and I really thank you for talking and sharing with others. Thanks for having me, John. It's been great. Thanks. Help to create the future of healthcare in Maricopa County, Arizona. Get involved by joining the Maricopa County Medical Society at mcmsonline.com slash join. Does your financial advisor help you pursue what matters most? With so much at stake when it comes to protecting everything you've worked so hard to achieve, it never hurts to get a second opinion about your financial future. At Baba Sobers Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services, Our approach starts by understanding your life and what you want to accomplish. Then we work together to create a framework design to give you the confidence to do what matters most, no matter what the markets are doing. We want to help ensure you have all you need for today, tomorrow, and for generations to come. For more information about Baba Sobers Wealth Management, visit our website at advisors.ubs.com forward slash Baba Sobers WM. We're members of FINRA and SIPC.